Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Private Equity Power Talks podcast. I'm your producer, Richard Ayliff. We have a very interesting episode for you this month as we talk to Buzz Bingo CEO, Chris Matthews. We actually recorded this episode in March of this year, during the early stages of the COVID pandemic, back when people could only make predictions about what the full implications would be. Considering Chris's history of coming into underperforming businesses post-investment as a turnaround specialist and leading Dixon's Greece through the Greek financial crisis, his insights are extremely relevant to the current climate. Chris's views on how to be a successful PE-backed CEO through adversity are even more pertinent when you consider the resilience he has shown in a sector so heavily affected by the pandemic, having recently secured a further investment of £22 million from current owners Caledonia. Now, over to Sam and Chris. So here we are for our next episode of Map of the Maze. We have Chris Matthews joining us as our special guest and founder member uh, today. Hello, Chris. Hi. Chris is uh, the CEO of Buzz Bingo, which was once Gala Bingo, that's been through many rounds of private equity ownership, and uh, and then Labrooks are now back to private equity in a, in a new brand. Uh, but this is your, your second role in private equity, uh, having joined Go Outdoors in 2013, the outdoor sort of leisure retailer and you took that business through a real sort of operational professionalization process uh, and uh, product development and rapid sales increase and delivered a great exit for 3i and yfm to jd sports yep so uh, welcome great to have you good to be here sir so we uh, let's let's kick off with our first question so um You've you've come in to the CEO role in both private equity about businesses post investment. You've replaced somebody. Yep. You know that's an advantage and a disadvantage. You didn't do the deal, didn't set the business up through private equity ownership. An advantage in that you can get all the all of the sort of you know um, uh, skeletons out of the cupboard fairly quickly. But how how do you approach it? How do you set yourself up for for success in coming into these roles? I think a lot of it has to do with an approach that I've learned really going across other markets in, in Europe, which is you go into a business, you've got to get a really good insight into the real core um, depths of the business in terms of what customers and colleagues are thinking. Um, so there's a lot of Q&A, a lot of uh, breakout groups and, and real feedback sessions asking the same questions, you know, what's good, what's not good, what are the things we're missing, and gather as much intelligence directly yourself um, whilst you set up systems and processes that can do that in a longer-term piece. The other side, I think, is also has to do with numbers, is that you've got to set up a reporting system that gives you brilliant feedback very, very quickly. And going into a business, often that's struggling, you have to be quite brave with that because often the team that you inherit maybe are incentivized a different way and, and are used to the, the original business plan or are mm. wedded to the shareholders in a different way or that just don't have the skills that you might need. You've got to trust the data. And this is one thing I've learned working in, in markets where you don't speak the primary language. You know, you need good quality data. <clears throat> so one of the first things I do beyond the listening groups is actually getting a brilliant set of financial data that I can trust. Uh, I have a templates that I use that give me a real insight into the, the P&L, the balance sheet, um, and that side of things as well. And that gives How me a How much of a shock is that for your finance director, CFO, as you, as you come in and... Um, it's a non-negotiable. It's a hard one often. So I mean, in the case of, of, of Buzz Bingo, which was then Gala Leisure, um, there was no forecast. So there was good reporting of finance. There was a good trustworthy balance sheet, but they weren't looking forward. 
Well, when you go into a turnaround situation, that forward-looking plan becomes absolutely critical to drive value and find out where the value is, where the cost improvements can be. Um, so, so introducing those templates for me become non-negotiable. You, you, I need my my engine room set up really well. Um, and you can't initially do that from a customer and colleague point of view. You've got to do that by meeting them. But in, in the medium term, you can set up reports, you can set up systems to get great reports from customers and from colleagues. But from a financial point of view, you've got to get straight in there and just get it sorted. Mm. What's in the templates then? What do you look at? Uh, it, well, uh, as a non-FD sort of background, uh, but probably more of a trader in, in terms of my my background, the P&L side is always a bit easier, I think, for most CEOs that have come through a commercial or marketing route. Mm. Um, but what matters to me most there is ratios, to understand actually what's happening across, to see a P&L in a format that I can understand. So that doesn't normally happen. You walk into a business, every P&L is quite different. I've got to get that translated the way that I think quite quickly. So that does involve the finance team doing some legwork. But then very quickly looking at four plans as well. And again, looking at ratios, really having two sets of numbers, uh, you know, a top line level that allows you to see the trends and performance on one page. And then a more detailed P&L that allows you to see it in more intricate detail. So you can really understand everything from margins to cost structures and really work out what that plan is. And that helps you also understand as you're driving things in the business, what's what's making a difference quicker. The, the other side, I say that, that for... CEOs who aren't coming from a finance background, you have to really get into that balance sheet. And so for me, um, Buzz is a good example. I've been in the business now for two and a half years. You know, I don't spend a lot of time in the balance sheet. I'm used to it. You know, I'm used to the cash flow and balance sheet. I look at it every month, but it's a quick look. And I go into it deeply every sort of three, four months. When I first go into business, you know, w- w- with people that I can trust, I'll spend a day or two days exploring the balance sheet to really understand where the liabilities and where the, where the good stuff is. Uh, and also to get a sense of trust in the finance team that you're inheriting. Hmm. But this is this is sort of turnaround stuff, Sam. So I wouldn't say, look, if you're walking into a business that's doing really well, well it's good it's, practice. It, it's I mean, flying well, that, that it may not be an approach that would work in most businesses. But when I go in, you've got to go in a little bit, uh, a little bit tough to get all of the insight you need so you make good decisions. Yeah. What else do you do as you come in? Um, I'm pretty calm. So, I mean, I mean b- beforehand, I've done a load of research myself. I'll go in with a plan. But on day one, that plan pretty much always goes in the bin because what you find out from the outside of a business when you enter Mm. through listening really, really hard to what customers and colleagues are telling you, the plan does change. And if you listen really hard to organisations and you listen really hard to customers, actually what I find is really interesting, within literally within 30 days, you get some really great ideas coming from people inside the business on where to take the business and where the inherent value is. And also if there's issues where those issues are um, and you've got to be brave enough and fearless enough to listen to that feedback and act on it mm. um, and that's where where you know you just got to have a bit of a bit of fearlessness to, to listen to that feedback and be willing to do things about it otherwise there's no point going through that process yeah. and that first 30 day period for me is absolutely crucial you, you were mentioning a conversation we're having that you also um, you look to bring people in a couple of people key sort of yeah. commercial operators doers yeah. to try and maximize or identify help you identify and verify the commercial opportunities but then exploit those it is I mean, what i found in, in retail businesses especially but the same applies to gaming and what applies to other businesses that you know beyond finance you need a really good insight team uh, and i find going to mid-sized businesses that's often what's missing most you know you've got brilliant reporting going to commercial teams going to retail teams or online teams but actually having one or two individuals that love insights that can help you find the good stuff. And then as you start to make changes through the teams, 
uh, tell you honestly whether it's working or not working is really crucial. So they're not necessarily senior people, but this one of the first things I look for is have I got some people in the business, one or two people that I can trust that have that sort of savvy data side, but that commercial aspect that can do proper insight for me. Um, and if I haven't, then that's that's some of the first roles that I'll go and look to fill. Mm. Do you think it's a bit easier for a, an incoming CEO to sort of, do you think you have a, a longer, you have a period of 12 month honeymoon before anyone's really sort of asking any serious questions of you? <laughs> God, not in private equity. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. I think in the two private equity situations I've been, both have been in situations of, of needing some urgent work. So, you know, going to go outdoors, um, the previous management and the founders had not had a good relationship with their lenders. And so they learned, you know, that the, the financing was at some risk um, and it needed some turnaround. It, its trading was, was poor. So there's a sense of urgency that literally within two, three months, we had to find a way through to create a strategy that would convince a new lender to be able to refinance the business to keep the business safe yeah. whilst it the business got fixed, you know, and so, so that urgency is frenetic in Gala's case. But no one warned you of that. That was actually, that was a far more severe situation than you than you were expecting it to be as you were being appointed, wasn't it? Oh, it was, but that, I think it was my naivety. It was my first P gig. Um, <laughs> I, I believed everything I was told. Uh, arrived on day one with a, with a growth plan and a build plan and, and got to grips with the business and thought, wow, this is another turnaround. So um, the great thing was in Go, and go outdoors it had some brilliant brilliant people inside the business that perhaps didn't have a voice but had huge skills and so getting the solutions wasn't as hard as it could have been mm. uh, again just being fearless enough to give the team enough empowerment to, to do some incredible things was, was probably the, the most difficult thing mm. whilst also keeping the business safe by refinancing the business i didn't expect to have to do that you know i didn't expect to have to come in and refinance a business yeah. in the first two months it did put a bit of duress on, on my first induction. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, not um, much of a honeymoon. Good. No, not much of a honeymoon, but it was it was good. It was um, The strategy became clear. I had most of the people I needed inside the business already in the business. They might have been in different roles, um, but I needed a new financial backer, um, and we needed to, again, be fearless. We needed to, in Go's case, get rid of a huge amount of, of bad stock, um, be brave enough about developing new brands and, and sorting out supply chains and, and getting the mojo back in the business. But you know, the, the, the team responded amazingly. So do you think that that's also part of your system for setup is just bringing, um, finding the mojo again, you know, identifying where the mojo again is in the business, but also uh, providing that sort of increase in pace. You know, let's get these things done. We've got an opportunity. We've got a, we've got a window here. Let's decide on what we're going to do within that window and get it done quickly. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I think you have to be very honest with yourself about your team when you go in because making changes when you're busy doing the things that the business needs to do to get fixed. Um, it's very easy to, to uh, make excuses for, for accepting incumbents that may need replacing. Um, but to get the pace and urgency, look, private equity at the end of the day is dead. So you've got to get your growth growing ahead of your debt fairly quickly. Mm. Um You've got to be just fearless and, and, and listen and then act really, really well. And so for some of the incumbents, that's a breath of fresh relief. You know, it's a huge breath of fresh air mm. and they respond to it and they can get promoted. You can put people in new roles and give them, you know, new opportunities. But for some, that pace and urgency that should have been in the business before isn't their nature. Mm. And then you've got a decision to make is can you afford to leave that person in role for a year to two years? Uh, while you develop them, and sometimes you can, or are they in a crucial role, in which case you've got to find some, some somebody else to come in who can operate at the speed you need to in this sort of turnaround private equity environment to, to make it right. Mm. 
are you still once you're, you've been in for two and a half years now so I mean how often are you looking at those financial metrics and numbers on a on a weekly basis now I mean I bet in the first six months you're looking at them every day almost but now, uh, yeah, I've got a great team. I mean, it's uh, the team I have. I trust an awful lot. Um, some have been promoted from internally. Some have come from external. Um, a bit more external than probably in my previous roles. Um, but I, I think as a as a CEO, and this I've learned from from other countries. I think the the dangerous thing for for me personally is to get too far away from the the the, the pulse of the business in terms of trading and that feedback. That feedback in the first thirty days. So. You know, I, I do attend all the trading meetings. Um, I'm not the biggest voice in those trading meetings, but I do attend them all because I want to hear what's going on because sometimes you'll hear an opportunity that can get passed up, but actually you realise that that could be something quite big um, and it could be something really small that's just covered in a trading meeting. Well, hold on, no, no, stop, stop, stop. What did you say again? Mm. And actually it's a trial or it's a test or it's a new product area that actually can be really, really exciting. So being in the room during those debates, I think is actually a crucial part and keeps your finger on the pulse when you're making bigger strategic decisions and you've still got your sort of toe in, I suppose to speak, in terms of trading. So I think that becomes important. But no, I spend much less time on, on P&Ls and balance sheets than I did when I first walked into a business because I've got a trusted CFO and a trusted finance team mm. who know their stuff and have done really, really well with it. So um, mm. I'm looking more for interest to see what else can we find value from to drive, what else can we push faster and faster and what are the things we need to stop than the day-to-day concern on where the cash flow is or how the balance sheet's looking. Mm-hmm. So um, we touched on go outdoors there in terms of um, you know, the financial turnaround and the, and the operational turnaround and it ended up, as I said at the beginning, a, a, as a trade exit rather than a private equity exit. And I know some of our listeners are you know, very interested in, I suppose, in managing the difference in managing the process to a trade buyer and a private equity buyer. And I think in your case, you know, it's a good example of how it can be so very different. And tell us about it. You, you know, just just pick up that sort of last, the tail end of that process. Yeah, uh, as much <laughs> as I possibly can. Uh, it, having worked in PE and probably come from trade, I suppose if I look at my career, it's been two halves: one working in sort of corporate retail environments, and one and the other half in in private equity. I've got a reason I'm saying both sides of the equation. I think the difference is for me with with PE, their knowledge on your business is much less. So they rely a lot more on diligence and externals to validate what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Whereas for trade, um, they, they, they get it. So, so there's, there, there's a camaraderie there that's easier, but it also makes their knowledge much, much higher. And it can give them some baggage as well. It can give them some prejudice, which may or may not be true. So I think the difference I found through the process is, is that the PE guys were all good, really smart people I'd like to work with. On trade, I think the biggest challenge we had in the JD deal I mean, I was working directly with Peter Calgo, who who is a legend and, and one of the best negotiators I've ever met. Um, you know, this was a big deal for them. This was at the time the biggest deal they'd ever done from an acquisition point of view. And that's hard to do. You know, it makes you slum, somewhat fearful, you know. So I think getting trade comfortable, ironically, in this case, took a bit longer than it would have done with private equity because mm. uh, we'd done all the diligence and all that side. But actually from JD's side... They, they, they didn't want to see all the diligence. They wanted to talk to me. They wanted to meet the team. They wanted to go to stores and understand the, the dynamics of the business. So the process took a bit longer. But it was um, it was the right decision to make, I think, for the business. How, how did they... Were they always in the running? Were they always up there with the favourites? 
to acquire uh, the business? Or, yeah. yeah, they were. They, they were always an interested party. Did um, you always have a relationship with them? Did you? No, not not really. No, because they were like any other potential buyer. Yeah, correct. They, they were they were a competitor at the time, so it was very arm's length. Um, but there was a lot of synergies from values point of view. They cared about people. Um, they cared about product. Um, it's what in their outdoor facias as well as their their product size. So there was a lot of commonality with where Go Outdoors had grown to, to where JD already were. Um, and of course, in in selling to trade, you're not encompassing the business in a lot of debt, which mm. is an advantage for the long term business model, I suppose. Um, and that was a factor in that as well. But there was, I think the biggest thing was was there was a lot of values correlation between the way JD worked to the way Go Outdoors worked at the time as well, which is why in the end we veered towards, um, veered towards trade. Yeah. What about for you, though, and your core team? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, so private equity, I mean, you'd probably still be uh, there, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, possibly. I, I think the, the thing for me, it was the right thing for the business at the time. And I think in time, it will prove that too. Um, and that for me is always the biggest driver. You, you, you know, I want to leave a business knowing it's got great management, it's got a good strategy, and it's got its mojo. And, and you're leaving a business on on a high. Mm. And that was the case with Go. I mean, for, for me, having been in in sort of a PLC world for 20 years, nearly um, at all levels, uh, I do quite enjoy private equity. So, so being back in a PLC stable is quite hard because if mm. I look at what we've done in Buzz, that the the speed of transition that we've been able to do in Buzz would be very, very hard if you're facing into PLC external markets. You know, you, you have a speed of decision-making, especially in turnaround, mm. that you need, that PE gives you the chance to do that um, and back winners. Um, whereas in a PLC environment, it's very possible, and JD themselves is a good example of companies that have done that, you know, time and time again, but it's harder, it's mm. slower. You've got more stakeholders, you've got reporting periods. So, um, yeah, my natural home is is... is I think more than PLC, unless it's a PLC that acts like JD and others do with a bit more of a P mentality and looks at opportunities. Mm. Was it the synergy savings that um, that were that were uh, accessible through JD that allowed them to pay the higher price? Um, it wasn't. It wasn't just about price. I, I think there's a number of things. I think for them, I mean, clearly there's synergy savings as well, especially on logistics, uh, IT. Uh, capital development uh, that, that but I suppose private equity didn't outbid them did they I mean no. had they been outbid they it would have gone to PE and yeah although yeah it it wasn't as far away as, pro- as probably you'd imagine but it's um, uh, I think in terms of um, JD the other benefit for them of the acquisition was Go Outdoors has a lot of owned brands across good better and best and a build up a supply chain and an expertise in developing owned brand as brands um, because they were as good, if not better, than a lot of the brands that you find out there, and so that for for JD is a big is a big win, I suppose. And mm. getting into categories mm. such as mountain biking and bikes and things and tents and stuff, which which maybe is not what they do uh, with their existing facials. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, as you've come into these businesses, uh, both both uh, um, Go Outdoors and Buzz Bingo have, as we've already talked about, been um, been not the not the sort of easiest of pathways into the new job. You know, they've needed some turnaround. They've needed some adjustment. Um, so, once you've got your head around the operations, the opportunity, the finances, you're then thinking about okay, well, how do I finding that mojo again and reinvigorating yeah. the business? You know, how how have you approached that? How have you re-energized the people around 
the mission or a new mission? Yeah, I think it works on both levels. I mean, the other thing I think is important is your shareholder as well. You know, you've got to work with a shareholder who gets it and who's supportive of this sort of movement. Um, in our case with, with Buzz and Caledonia, they've been brilliant all the way through. Um, and crucially for, for us, if you go into a business that has suffered, and, and so Gala is probably a good example that has been underinvested for for a few years and is rapidly catching up, it had lost a bit of its mojo. So, I mean, one of the things that we've done, uh, or two things really, is, is focus on colleagues first. So we've developed a program called Boost, working with Lane 4, which um, really hands a huge amount of empowerment in the business over to colleagues in a way they might have enjoyed 10, 15 years ago, but but maybe they haven't in more recent years. Is this like the sort of Timpsons-like approach, you know, bottom up? Managing? It is. Well, it's also about listening as well. It's, it's about getting feedback. So, so the second part of it is about creating good communications. We've got an app, for example, that all of our colleagues can use to talk directly to management and vice versa. You know, it makes it more informal, more fun. Uh, we've got good communication plans around that as well and a real listening uh, for ideas as well. Some of our best ideas that we've put into Buzz have come from colleagues, uh, which is no surprise. But you've got you've got to put a bit of a a bit of a, a catalyst into that ingredient to get people to be brave to give those ideas, and that, that's crucial for me again in the first six to nine months. Um, and so we did that through Boost. We've retrained two and a half thousand colleagues, uh, and that's that's paid us some some good dividends and has got our mojo back. What what did the retraining involve? Uh, the workshops where where you literally go out to to club um, and retrain colleagues on on. Get, get listening what do they want to do in their clubs it talks about the strategy of the company and where it's going um, and gives them a chance to work out at a local level what does that mean so you know if we're looking at making customers you know, joyously happy how to do that in a club it might be we need to do a different approach to food it might be a different approach to welcoming or greeting it might be a different approach to playing bingo you know there can be lots of different ways that could come through but the best person to understand that is the colleagues mm. and then the managers have to have enough confidence in themselves to hear what's going on and guide and be brave enough to take some of those actions. Uh, but it leads to more empowerment and I think it'll build again over the next couple of years because the biggest thing, it gives you a bit of confidence back. Everyone likes to be talked to. Everyone likes to be heard. Yeah. Um, if you want engagement, then you, know, you, you need to set your correct. colleagues up for engagement. But, but it doesn't have actually. You, you need a process. Uh, yeah. And so it was a big part of the investment plan over the last 18 months of, of what we've done in, with this training program and it'll be a big part of what we do in the future. Um, but it gives a nice different dynamic. You know, I, I, I get, you know, I've just done a competition recently, some amazing ideas. It, it took it took me six, seven hours to read them all, you know, and in there is some brilliant, brilliant ideas of what to do with product, what to do with reporting, even changing things that, that how we do operations as well. And those ideas will come from colleagues. Uh, and that's that's great. We've got to build on that. I think what you just said there is the critical point. You need a process. You can't just yeah. go in and say, we've got a few, you know, coming from you, I've got no. a few ideas, this is how we can improve the culture. You've actually got to embed some sort of process. You have, and, and be willing to invest. And that's what Lane 4 yeah. helped you with. Yeah, we did that with Lane 4, I've worked with them before, and, and they've got the speed, they know how we he, like this to This is work. Uh, Adrian, um, Adrian Morehouse. Morehouse, the, yeah, the training Olympics company. Winner, isn't he? He'll enjoy the plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good for him, yeah. Get closer to Pep Talks. Yeah. Uh, okay, and just just sort of finishing off, I mean, you've um, you've been doing this for... Um, since eight years or something. Yep, seven or eight years. Uh, you're on a second role. I mean, how do, how do you? I mean, these uh, we always sort of one of our sort of uh, sound bites is, it's this isn't a job, this is a lifestyle. Yeah, and that's the same for your management team. It's hopefully the same almost for the, everybody in the business. You know, this is a mission, so you live it. Yep, but it requires a lot of energy and focus. Yep. Um, so how, how do you? 
maintain your sort of performance levels? How do you not get tired, sick, <laughs> bored? Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah. I think you've really got to enjoy this stuff. I mean, you, 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 anyone that gets into uh, any senior position within a P invested environment, you've got to love what you do because it'll test you. Um, you need high personal energy. I think simple things like making sure you've got a little bit of work-life balance, making sure that the things that matter to you in your home life uh, work really well and that you dedicate time for it and you enjoy those things too. Mm. Um, silly things like being fit to lead. I mean, for me, that's been quite important over the last few years because I used to be really unfit, uh, a lot larger than I am now. And actually having a degree of fitness actually gives you more energy, which means that you don't have to make quite so many compromises in, in the personal work balance. Um, but personally, I can't, I can't speak for anyone else. I, you know, I, lo- I love it. I, lo- I love the ability to come into a business and really listen and do stuff and have a go at stuff. And, and that for me is really motivating. So, you know, whether it's a Monday morning <coughs> or a Friday night, you know, hearing great ideas, getting them implemented, you know, dealing with issues that you have to deal with. Mm. You know, I, I've, I, I, you know it's, what, it's what I love doing and, and my team, I think the same. Yeah. Thankfully, you can't ask them at the moment because they're not in here. <laughs> <laughs> what about any sources of inspiration? Um, do you read? Do you listen to podcasts? Obviously, yeah. ours, but um. yeah. I, I obviously <laughs> listen to your podcast uh, uh, frequently. No, I, I think it's different for everyone. For, for me, you know, it's simple things. These are stressful jobs. You've got to find ways of dealing with stress so it doesn't feel like stress. Yeah. And so part of that is, is being calm and, and again, listening really well. Um, you know, speaking personally, a, a bit of meditation here and there, doing a fair bit of exercise um, gives me an outlook on life that I think makes it more positive. You know, you, and you've got to yeah. self-recognise when you're feeling quite stressed. You know, it's, uh, um, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, this, this may last six months or nine months. You know, we're in the middle of a coronavirus yeah. thing at the moment. It's taken a lot of my time over the last over the last few weeks. You know, I just spent five minutes in the room next door just chilling out and listening to some calm music and, and, and doing a bit of a ming and ahhing. You know, and, and that's brilliant. It gives me a boost and gives my energy back and gives me focus and stops me getting stressed. So for everyone, it's different. But for me, I think it's about being balanced, being calm, you know, calm in a crisis about where it needs to happen and making sure you've got a balance in your life so that work doesn't become your life. You know, because I think in PE, you've got to be careful that you keep plenty for yourself. Yeah. Chris, thank you very much. That's been... That's been great. Pleasure. We better go and have a glass of wine. Yes. Thank you, Sam. (laughs) Thank you. you. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Private Equity Power Talks, Map of the Maze. Please subscribe for a new episode each month and share with anyone in your network you think may be interested. If you have any questions for us about Pep Talks membership or anything else, please email us at info at pep-talks.co.uk. And thank you for listening.